Hello and welcome to Sensei Podcast. This is Manos Brilakis discussing with leaders in the field of CTO and Complex PCI. Sensei means teacher or master in Japanese. The goal of the Sensei Podcast is to help you learn and improve in CTO and Complex PCI so that you can become the best that you can be and offer your patients the best possible results. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sensei Podcast. It is my great pleasure to introduce Dr. Craig Thompson, who is uh, one of the people who started CTOPCI in North America, and he's currently the Director of Interventional Cardiology in the Cardiac Cath Labs in uh, Hartford Healthcare, where he's also the System Director for all the interventional uh, programs. So, Craig, thanks again, and uh, thanks for joining us today at the Sensei Podcast. Certainly. My, my pleasure to be here, Manos. My, my absolute pleasure and honor. Craig, you're the people who taught me on the early stages uh, how to do the retrograde, how to do ADR. Uh, you got into this very early. How did this happen for you? How did you become involved in this complex area and actually define it at the very early stages? Yeah, sure. It's a great question, Manas. I, uh, I, was, I finished my uh, uh, interventional cardiology training roughly 2003-2003. Um, in, in Boston, and uh, my first job out of training was, was at uh, Dartmouth in New Hampshire. And it, my first year, the, the kind of nature of our catch area and referral bias was, was uh, you know, as, as a tertiary and quaternary medical center, and essentially for all comers in the, that geography of northern New England. And so we would see broad swaths of, of disease ranging from simple to complex. And within my training program, we did all, we did virtually no CTO work, none <laughs> at, at all. And, and I don't think we were necessarily unique in the country. So I did a vascular fellowship. I'm doing CTOs right and left and legs and iliacs and lower legs and so forth but not in the coronaries. I could probably count that on a single hand. And generally speaking, in that, in that era, you, somebody would be, a patient would come in with some syndrome, they would have ischemia, they would have symptoms, they would probably be on good background medical therapy, and an angiogram would be taken. And, and, and the, 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 the logic slash excuse is, oh, well, they're collateralized. So they're either collateralized or not collateralized, but there's always a reason not to do the total occlusions, even though that they're in the lab. And one of the things throughout my training and and in in my early formative stages um, when I became an attending and independent was seeing these patients that 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 were they were essentially suffering. And they would be back and it would be, and tell me if you've heard this before, anybody on the podcast is they've had uh, five angiograms in the past eight years, They three of which they've had interventions. All of them have been the low hanging fruit. So it's diagonals, it's OM, but the entire time that they keep coming in, in this eight years where the quality of life has deteriorated, they've had inferior ischemia and a CTO of the right coronary. Or something to that effect. I mean, just 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 take that as, as an example. And 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 I was seeing this, and it became so apparent to me. Um, so I started taking more swings at the total occlusions. The the other thing that really kind of informed my thought process as it goes to the more extreme CTO and what we now know is is CHIP, the high risk 
indicated patients that have a lot of other comorbidities was I did my, my postdoctorate when I was with Harvard and MIT was in cardiovascular bioengineering. So it was cell therapy, gene therapy. It was the idea that we're going to build new heart muscle or, or blood vessels, uh, which on, a, on the best day would end up being collaterals, frankly, um, with cells or genes and so forth. So I was recruiting in these trials. I was leading a few. And every time I was looking at this, it was the non-revascularizable patient with viable myocardium and, and, and I would, I, I, eventually it just became so apparent. Simple things are simple. It's well, heck I'm trying to grow new heart muscle, recruit heart muscle, or I'm trying to grow blood vessels with this little dream of injecting these cells and genes. And every single time they've already have a pathway in there. It's the chronic total occlusion. So I kind of lost my, my ambition for, for the bioengineering aspect, realizing these patients probably were revascularizable, we just didn't have the tools and skill sets. And at that point, I became committed to learning them from people that I could learn from and where we had unmet needs to apply myself to try to develop them. Perfect. And then that, how did it go from the intention and the realization of the clinical need, obviously the background was perfect, to actually becoming you know, one of the best operators in the world. How did you learn this? Was it on the job? Was it um, at the time there were no books or, or courses for that matter? So how did you actually learn to do the, st the steps of the procedures? Yeah, I, I, I would say it, it, was, it, was, it was on the job learning and it's, it's kind of the old idiom, practice, practice, practice. It's you know, keep going up, you learn from experience, you, you, you know, things both that are successful, things that you regret. Uh, but trying to do it in a fairly responsible manner. Um, I would say some of my early influences, um, it, it, roughly in that time period, was when the CTO summit that the Cardiovascular Research Foundation uh, puts on. I was in the, the audience the, the second year of the meeting, but it was the first year that, um, that it wasn't just a faculty-only situation, which is how they started it. And you know, both what I was doing and kind of where my head was that I just described, um, as well as is, is, is a community, you know, just the, the ideas, realizing that, of course, it's not just us. It's not just the people in New England, northern New England that are suffering from this. It's global. It's worldwide. And, and it's conundrum that that a number of, of docs and certainly many, many uh, thousands, millions of patients realize it, it's their front and center. So that that created an, an, an inspiration to me. And, uh, you know, much like yourself in the, in those days, I drew, um, when I was trying to draw outside of my own experience and, and, and skill sets and, and the technologies at the time, it was learning from those that have been there before, have done that before. And, and in that situation for me, it was some of the masterclass, uh, Japanese, uh, operators and for a variety of reasons they they uh, had to to tackle this or chose I should say to tackle this earlier and to try to, to develop the space both in terms of technique and technology and um, you know that inspired me to not only learn from them but to proceed likewise trying to to um, push this field forward in ways that I could and to participate in, in areas to, to, to meet certain unmet challenges within the context of CTO. And of course that evolved to me. Initially we were thinking about the anatomy and, 
And the mindset quickly shifted to it's really about the patient. It's to render them symptom free or improve their symptoms, their quality of life in certain circumstances, potentially their longevity. But, you know, we went from from it being the technical conundrum to the more holistic, which I think is the appropriate approach um, to, to being about the patient's clinical circumstances so that it's a community. It's the it's the patient. It's the referring doctors and general cardiologist, as well as those of us in interventional cardiology, like you, me, others, and and, and cardi- cardiovascular surgery. So, Craig, you're one of the few people who can bridge the practical aspect, being excellent with the technical part and the clinical judgment part, but also with the academic part, putting it in paper publishing, presenting, you're one of the key architects of the um, hybrid algorithm. You have your own uh, book of interventional cardiology. So clearly, uh, you've been very, very productive. And I still remember your first retrograde paper, the first, one of the first in the world that really opened up the avenues down the line. How, how did that help you or, or how, how did that blend with your clinical expertise? Yeah. I, you know, I mean, I, I, think, I think a little bit of the, the sharing and participating was was how I've been hardwired for a long time. I mean, even from uh, medical school and my internship and residency is, is, is I had um, uh, a goal to, to participate broadly in innovation and the academic environment, being able to give back in the ways that I could. And that actually is one of the things that motivated me to move from Mississippi and to gather new experiences and new, new skills and new contacts and so forth. When I got into the Harvard system and moved to the Northeast and and into device development with uh, mentors of mine, such as Dr. Steve Osterley, who used to uh, be uh, at MGH, which is where I was, um, Massachusetts General Hospital and Stanford and subsequently helped run Medtronic for a while. You know, these 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 people, you know, kind of helped help guide me and breathe, you know, help breathe life into that that ambition to uh, to to. To give back, um, and you, you mentioned that retrograde paper. You know, funny thing is, you know, funny thing happened on the way to the store is is I was uh, I gotten uh, you know honored to be at a, for one of the companies on their uh, global or their their Americas North and South America advisory board at a, at a fairly young age, and uh, and I'm walking uh and this was this was after i you know i started doing some retrograde it was before hybrid and adr and things like that but i'm kind of starting to try to just get my mind around that that technique and approach and um and and i said going to get some coffee during a break and and i run across this uh guy uh, 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 uh kind of loud confident verbose um, um, and really sounded like he knew what he was talking about. And, and as I walked by his laptop and he was showing a couple of, a uh, couple of friends of, of ours that you and I both know, uh, a, a, a retrograde CTO procedure. And I, and I did a double take. I'm like, wait a minute, I'm the only guy doing retrograde in, in the U S or something. So I sat down and talked with him and his name is, is Bill, Bill Lombardi, uh, professor Bill Lombardi now. And uh, and we became fast friends. And the first thing, you know, we, we used to joke that we would we would have meetings at the conferences before anybody knew who we were, before we were speaking on the podium and doing things like this. But we what we did know is that we would go to meetings, we would sit together and um, 
and, uh, and, and see what was happening on the podium. And it was a lot of confusion. There really wasn't direction there. there. Um, and, you know, we, we really thought we could contribute a lot to it. And particularly since we were working on a few of these innovations independently, we, we, we joined forces and, and, you know, used to joke, we would sit at the, uh, uh, you know, maybe go to a bar and have a beer or something after the conference. And, uh, and, and it, was the, it was the meeting of the U.S. retrograde CTO club. And uh, but but from there, what we what we realized is, is, you know, not only in the context of innovations that we can bring forward, but what is our collective experience? And we, we pulled that together in that particular paper that you were talking about. But it was kind of it, it was it was uh, it, it was in many ways a real catalyst for a lot of activities that have occurred in my life, his life, your life, everybody's life since then. It, you know, it really was. If you think about these kind of seminal or crucible moments in your life, that would be one of them for me, for sure. So, so the lesson is when you walk uh, in a in a meeting, just look around, see what's going on. You may you never know. You may find your your partner for the remaining of your life. You never know. Yeah, you know. I mean, I think um, I think having uh, and I don't profess to always have this. I try to be good about it, but I think you know life's about timing, and I do think that there's having a keen eye or keen ear um, for these things so that life doesn't pass you by. I mean, I think, uh, you know, you talk, we, we can talk about luck, but, you know, I think opportunity favors the prepared mind. And, um, you know, we, we, we kind of create the world we live in just to, to, to a great extent. And so, yeah, I think, um, and, and we're also more productive in areas of life, whatever it is, you know, it could be gardening, it could be CTO and, patients or, or whatever, but, you know, we do best in, in areas that we're passionate about. And, you, you know, you, nobody would ever pay me for, you know, in the mindset is nobody ever pays me for what I'm worth. It's you, you have to live your life uh, in that way. And I think if we do so, that's how one can become productive in whatever field that they're, that they're in. A little bit of, a little bit of philosophy, but I, I think, as you as you well know, is is I think philosophy and mindset is is really a cornerstone of of um, of dealing with this complex patients these complex patients when the uh, when the cath lab doors close and you have to get to work. And speaking of the mindset, you know, you were doing these cases from an early stage where we didn't have the equipment, as you said, it was much more difficult, taking much more time, it was much more risky. So. How did you able to get through these very long cases? Keep, you know, your focus on the case. Get these great results. Um, were there any things that helped you, kind of finesse or refine this technique, or something you were born with? Uh, no, I well, I you know I can't speak to 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 any particular birthrights that, that any of us have. I am convinced. I don't know that it's it's for everybody. But I do believe that there's a distinction between skills and skill sets. And, and I think there, it's much more broadly applicable to, to, to be able to, to teach and train around reproducible skill sets, um, uh, you know, whether it's around certain techniques and technologies, uh, whether it's uh, once those are developed, combining them into a coherent strategy where we behave the same way, we speak the same language, um, you know, such as hybrid and, and, and it's offshoots and variants, but, you know, the, 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 it's really about having a, um, a, a, a structure, um, I think, in, in, in that regard. 
And Greg, so you're also unique in that you took actually a break. You had a leadership role in industry for a few years and you came back. So very versatile. Um, tell us about this experience. How did it help you or not? And, you know, many people would say once they leave the cath lab, they'll never go back. But you obviously are back and you're better than ever. So how, how did this experience um, help you and how is that affecting the way you're practicing and you're working now? Yeah, sure. It's you know I've got to say it. It was it was another crucible moment in my life, or key moment was, and it's not really a moment. It was a series of moments the last nearly five years. Um, you know when I when I was the global CMO of Boston Scientific, and I learned so much. Uh, and I would say if I had to to, to synthesize that into a few areas. Um, one is is management of a large organization, management of people, things that, you know, we're not necessarily taught in medical school. And, you know, so if you're a doctor and you do fairly well, you get advanced within your own network and your own situation. But it doesn't necessarily mean you're prepared for that. You know, it's not writing antibiotics anymore or laying a stethoscope on a chest. It's a skill set that we don't necessarily always have. Um, so I think, you know, in terms of leading groups of people, leading initiatives that um, the ability to think through it strategically, to be able to think through it with an operational project plan that could come to fruition and, and, and you know, take something, a, a white sheet of paper and figuratively speaking and have a, have a finished product is is one aspect of things uh, that I learned about. Um, secondarily, I was heavily involved in our research and development efforts uh, on the clinical side, and 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 also led the clinical research organization. So having the the fingers on the pulse of what's happening research wise, helping support efforts and innovative ideas, and you know you you were a huge part of this. Um, on the other side, to be able to kind of collaborate in that way, it was a tremendous opportunity uh, from the investigational side to be able to support these things, uh, efforts that I knew had meaning, and, and I could be a voice inside an organization. That 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 had the um, that had the firepower to be able to to push it forward, and of course, if one of the big players does this, they all have to do it. So you know, it's like having chum in the water and a little bit of a little bit of a feeding frenzy in in the space. Third, I would say on the research, uh, you know, more on the engineering research side is 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 getting in, giving you know, product specific feedback to the engineers, bridging this. Um, uh, uh, kind of a Rosetta Stone of, of, of bringing the common languages together and saying, no, this is what we need and, you know, in this device or this is how to develop this as value, this doesn't, this is probably higher priority. Um, uh, in, in learning all of the nuances of everything that, you know, early projects to you've got a finished product, but now you have to manufacture it at a global level and what can fall apart then, the nuances that um, regulatory-wise and legal, that would that would impede the, the the product getting to market in a in a safe and reasonable way. You know, it's, it's just it, I felt like it gave me more of a 360 view of the world that we live in. So, you know, once I got the itch and kind of came back to the other side, New York, and now now in Hartford, it, it really 
um, that perspective informs uh, what I do uh, on a daily and hourly basis. And then, Craig, so you're now had 20 years experience in the area, you know, one of the more senior operators and very successful. Do you get stressed out when you do um, complex cases? Is this routine for you? How do you feel when you uh, do these cases? I don't. Uh, I always, always carry a healthy amount of fear in any case I do. I, I, even when I'm getting vascular access in a diagnostic left-right heart cath, I, I always have something in the back of my mind, you know, I'm thinking about the permutations and I feel like I probably have had every complication that's ever happened. And so I'm always looking around the corner for that, but I don't feel um, as stressed as I might have early on. I I think it was putting a lot of uh, pressure on myself and, and I think with, with age and experience, what comes is being comfortable in your own skin. And, and I guess I would say this more for the younger operators out there is, you know, you, you, you might be a little bit more worried about what somebody else thinks about you or, or, you know, how the patient might react if, if, if there's a complication and, and that seizes you up. And the moment that you get a little tight, it's almost like in sports. If you're, if you're, if you're tight, if you're anxious, if you're not loose, you cannot play your best ball. So, you know, these days, you know, I feel a little bit more comfortable in my skin. I completely own any trouble that I get into with patients. Not that I didn't then, but I don't really carry a shame factor. I try to adequately inform them before, during, and after about what's what's going on. Um, and and you know, I've I've long kind of lived by this motto that failure is not an option, and um, and I still believe that because I think the mindset with something like CTO is that you have to be resilient, you have to be persistent, but recognizing a probably more acutely these days that failure complications is a, is a failure mode also, and that you, you, you do want to live to fight another day. So, so being able to kind of have that more balanced um, viewpoint with, with more experience is, is comforting. So you know, I, I would say for early operators, just realize it takes time. It takes practice. Um, at that point, I was probably anxious because there wasn't a, a community of people around me doing this. And then, you know, you're, you're a little more alone and isolated. That's really not the case anymore. And there's all sorts of people. You're a phone call away. We talk about phone a friend at the meetings all the time, but you're a phone call away from anybody, you know, for advice, for mid-case problems, for conundrums, for support if something goes horribly sour there's there's this big community and Manish, you you've helped lead this you're a big part of it and you know it but i mean is is that branched out i think we all got better i think we all got more comfortable in our skin and 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 um and really can live this life in a, in, a, in a in a more fulfilling way and then do you feel there are things to learn? I know you've done, obviously, so many cases and tremendous experience. Are you still learning? Do you think that you kind of reach a plateau? How do you feel about these cases these days? Always learning. <laughs> Always learning. And, and frankly, that probably would make me anxious if I ever felt like I would, would stop learning. And, um, and you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's interesting how things you have a perception of how a case goes you think you see all the uh, pieces on the chessboard and then something happens and it's like 
that you know I maybe I would have could have seen it coming. I didn't expect it to be coming, or um, or you get these curveballs, and then you still have these situations of I've never seen this before, and so you find yourself continue. I find myself continuing to be surprised, to be challenged, and to challenge myself to learn. And and I do think it's it's important, um, whether it's CTO, general PCI, any aspect of medicine, and frankly, life is that the moment we get complacent, you don't maintain your status quo. There, there is no let steady and level. You are falling behind. Uh, I truly believe that. So would encourage everyone to, uh, to continue to challenge themselves every day. And then you've taught so many people, uh, when people, you go to a lab or someone comes to your lab, um, can you tell if they're going to have a talent or they're going to do well in this area? Or is it something that is hard to decipher until you work with them for a while? I, you know, I think you, I think you can get an early read on um, their interest level. You know, some of it may be subtleties in conversation, uh, the, the space between the notes that you intuitively pick up. Uh, with, with someone, but I think it's their, their general enthusiasm and commitment. And you can, I, I think you can feel that one out earlier. Um, you certainly over the years, I've seen folks that have come in and had that enthusiasm and not really have successful or robust programs. And we've learned a lot about that in terms of, of trying to teach this is a number of years ago, it was teach a CTO operator teaches a CTO operator, and these days, and it's about CTOs and it's about the the the, the um, technique and technologies, right? That transition and a better mindset is train the team and do it in a patient centric way, and that's that's ultimately irrespective of what the program is, what you're teaching. It's a better model. Um, because if you don't have the nurses on your side, if you don't have hospital administration on your side, I mean, it, it really does take a village to pull this off. And if it's just simply an operator going back and saying, hey, I learned some cool new things, it, it doesn't really have the, the staying power. And if it's more of you're being a master technician, but not a master doctor, not a master clinician, that's also a failure mode, too. And, and so I, I think that's been the recipe for success as we've continue to evolve various training programs and training circumstances. And what do you find the hardest thing to teach? Is it the specific hand skills, spinning the wire microcatheter? Is it the mindset? What, what do you find the hardest to, to teach other people? Wire skills is the first thing that comes to mind. Um, wire skills. And uh, because you may realize, even though we have a, a lot of really interesting technologies and techniques that, you know, probably 60 plus, depending on what your, your patient mix is. But if you never say no to a patient that has an appropriate indication, you're still probably wiring this thing in the usual and customary fashion 60 to 70 percent of the time somewhere, give, give or take. But, but over over half the time easily that you're not doing ADR and retrograde and all this stuff. And, um, and really, I think it, it has to do with the operators knowing where they are in three-dimensional space and being accurate and honest with themselves and not kidding themselves. So, you know, for instance, uh, uh, you, you, 
the differences between the wires, a little twist here or there is oftentimes the key for success and failure for going subminimal or more importantly, exiting the artery. And usually if you exit the artery in the CTO with a wire, it's not that big of a problem, but if they don't know where they are in space and follow with a microcatheter, you got a, a perforation that's usually you have to contend with. And I think it's that spatial orientation on the really millimeter and submillimeter level uh, in, in the aspects of wire manipulation, they're just so tactile, like you and others would could just close your eyes and you can feel it. I need this level of resistance. I am slightly off. I'm a little bit too much to the lateral wall. And you make this micro adjustment and somebody looks at you and you cross the lesion. And they're like, this is magic. I just had my hand on the same wire in the same space and you crossed it. And and then how, how do you verbalize this to someone? It's like, well, I... You know, I, 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 I turned it from four o'clock to five o'clock, pushed and rotated at the same time, and it worked. And I knew it would. But that was the toughest one, I think, which is part of the reason that, you know, we, we have a, a lot of these debates on the podium that are probably highly entertaining for, for those that watch around a technique called parallel wire. You know this well, as you get multiple wires, you try to redirect yourself. And in circumstances, it, it can be uh, successful, probably not as successful as, as our conventional strategies, but but is, is, is a very viable thing to do. And there was a time before retrograde, before ADR and things along these lines where that was one of the mainstays of what we did, multiple wires in and trying to negotiate the CTO. Problem is, is that's a multiplicity effect over something that you cannot easily teach. And I can teach somebody to put a reentry device tell me where the lumen is and stick a penetration wire out the side. And I can do that nine times out of 10, uh, parallel wire and wire skills, much harder, much, much harder. Craig, how are you dealing with, uh, you know, the radiation, the lead, um, the long hours in the cath lab? Um, are there any things that you do to stay in shape and uh, keep active? Yeah. I, I mean, uh, it, you know, I think there's, there's a, a few things um, that we should all can you know strongly consider and um, when it when it comes to to managing just ourselves in the cath lab I think you know first one is is simply the mental mental acuity and that it, it, it is um, it is a bit of a, a training exercise that occurs by doing cases and again practice 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 over time not and I'm using the I'm using work practice a little bit pejoratively to say that the, the repetition really, really helps. Um, but to be able to stay focused until the very, very end and you were done with the case because it's not over until it's over, that last inflation, the closure devices, you, you've got to stay dialed in. And in you know the issues with operator mental fatigue in long cases, very real. And certainly, you know, are you as good at five o'clock in the day as you're at nine o'clock in the morning? You know, these things are very real. So there's a conditioning aspect of, of this that occurs with cases. I think it, 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 I would loosely say work-life balance, but it, it probably not so much that is is what comes to mind is is maintaining physical fitness and 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 um, things along these lines, core strength, uh, uh, muscle training. Uh, that, that occurs outside. So you get home, you're tired, you don't want to work out and all of this. Well, fast forward and go to the meetings, the interventional cardiology meetings, and look at some of our colleagues that are senior to us in, in age and, 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 and the kyphosis and things along these lines that happen. 
look at colleagues that are younger than age that have already had back surgery and spinal surgery and, and things like this. It's the, the wearing lead and, and the daily grind is, is orthopedically challenging. So the key is to try to be lead free. So there are technologies, uh, one of which that comes to my mind is, is Rampart Medical. There's others that are out there in the space, but to, to try to actually get us out of lead stay keep the cases fairly short maintain your physical health be be uh, be, be mentally uh, mentally sharp and you know remember life's a life's a marathon and and you know these things about managing the radiation away from this orthopedic occupational health thing incredibly important you know i, I don't, it's it's hard to really pin down what the number is but you don't have to make too many phone calls to your colleagues to really see people that are having uh, atypical left-sided cancers uh, uh, that are getting cataracts that are having um, these d disease states that, that you know that are these uh, effects that, that occur from our own radiation exposure much less what we're doing to the patient so we can say for a given patient lifetime exposure a couple of repeats within six months um, check their back uh, after you've had a long case above X amount of gray have these parameters as part of your quality system but we're thinking about yourself and the team is, you know, if I'm doing 20,000, if I'm doing this 20,000 times and my patient's done it once, my risk window for, uh, for radiation induced health issues is, is much higher. And I think we have to be really cognizant of taking care of ourselves. If we can't do that, we can't take care of our patients or anyone. Craig, what are you most proud of uh, so far? Professionally speaking, uh, I would I would say being part of the development of a broader community that 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 thinks and behaves in a like-minded way. Uh, my knee-jerk, my almost knee-jerk <laughs> initial response was the hybrid uh, algorithm because it was you know something that was kind of in my head, and then we validated this meeting that you and I were at in. But, you know, to, to actually see that play out where it's reproducible, that people could adopt it. But I think that's not even really enough. It's 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 really having a broad community of people that now take this seriously, that that live and breathe this, that that, you know, create a new life in a space that felt smaller, so much smaller to me 20 years ago than it does now. And I think that's for the patient's benefits. I think it's for our, our, our benefit as well. I, I'm, I'm just happy to have been some part of that. And then what uh, uh, excites you for the future? Are there some things that you look forward that you're really excited about? Oh, you know, I, um, I, I don't see breakthroughs um, in terms of something that's going to be a total complete paradigm shift. I think our our seismic event probably has, has occurred recently. And I think what it, it what we're going to be looking at is progressive iterative improvement. Um, you know, I think the opportunities are really around education and and potentially things that are that have thus far been a little bit out of our scope, such as is, is getting healthcare systems, regions, countries aligned with 
this initiative so that they're not these kind of perverse disincentives to being able to collaborate, refer patients, that we could all have a, a, a common platform to be able to continue to develop this space together. I would say that's probably number one. If there is a breakthrough, it would be to, I think, to be able to have some technology, probably would be a technology solution that would allow operators that are less experienced that will never really have the opportunity to, to get this extensive skill sets that, that we need now to be able to have a reasonable, safe attempt and open a lot of CTOs, refer their failures or patients that don't fall within a, a, a narrow scope to the expert centers. And I think that would allow for better distribution and segmentation of care. So that could be a potential breakthrough, but that would take a, that's a technology that doesn't exist yet or might in a certain way, but I think we'd have to rethink how we, how we utilize these. Perfect. And then just a couple of final questions. Uh, in terms of um, your personal life, any favorite books or favorite movies that you have? Yeah, I, um, I, I, <laughs> I'm actually reading this book now, and it's called uh, Mantras. It's by a, a, a man named Chris Doris, D-O-R-R-I-S, that, uh, that I actually met this past weekend. Uh, at a leadership meeting in Florida. He's a coach, uh, had been uh, spending his time as, as, a, as a mental uh, toughness coach with uh, with professional golfers and has evolved some of his professional career to doing the same thing for large, large, large organizations, uh, you know, such as Salesforce and others, like big, big organizations. And, um, and he's got a book called Mantras. It's Mind, Toughness, and Mantras. And I'm blanking on the exact name, but I think if you were to Google Chris Norris mantras, you'll come across it fairly quickly. And it's really interesting because it's not just really sayings. The notion is, is it's a lot of wisdom compact in, in a very compact and concise way. And, you know, I find that really, really interesting and fascinating and energizing because he kind of comes from a group of people, their own community that uh, really believe that your words create your world. And uh, that, 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 you know, you, 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 you be it and then you live into it. And to some extent, I, you know, when I, when I hear a lot of this over the weekend, it's good for life in general. But I admit it always kind of makes me think about the type of things that you and I do, right? It's like I'm going in and I'm going to open the CTO because I have a clinical reason to do so. It's going to get done. And then you kind of live in to, to that particular fantasy, realizing that, as opposed to a standard intervention where it's, it's guaranteed is in CTO, it's, it's not. So you, you, you have to have that particular life strategy and live into it. And it's just funny, fun, not funny, but fun to me that it's really kind of a microcosm of, of all walks of life and people in different professions and vocations. So that's a, that's a good read uh, that I'm, that I'm currently in and, movies, uh, you know, I must, I don't know why this came to my mind first. I think it's because I just, just finished a book called Take the Gun, Leave the Cannoli. Uh, but it made me think about Godfather, Godfather one and two, because it, it probably is a mantra thing because I like to quote movies, but it's, you know, as, as Tom Hanks uh, famously said, I think in, in, in one of his romantic comedies is it's, it's the sum total of all wisdom. Uh, you know, so it, I, I don't know. I just, I just uh, like the Godfather movies. 
Well, I think informally, Carfada is the most popular movie amongst uh, city operators. So I don't know what's in there. but. <laughs> Um, so, Craig, again, this has been phenomenal. Thank you so much. Any final pieces of wisdom, if you had to summarize your key pieces of advice for someone who is young or early career and is trying to learn and get better at this field, what would you, what would you advise them? Um, be passionate about what you do. Embrace the community. It's there for you now. And that will help for your success. Set up a stage for success, and part of it's your mindset. Part of it is taking care of yourself. Uh, train the team, and um, and uh, always, always, always be patient first. Wonderful. Well, Greg, every time I talk to you, I always learn something, and uh, this was no different. So thank you so much. Um, phenomenal insights. It's been fun working with you over these many years. Thanks for your help with the algorithms, for running the databases, the studies, all the publications. So thank you so much and excited to keep on working with you. Absolutely. Same, same to you as well, Manos. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Sensei Podcast. 